Hey, thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. To unlock the extended bonus conversation, sign up at patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the Create Unknown. I am Kevin Lieber. With me, as always, is Matthew Tabor. And joining us, we're all remote. This is a very special edition of the Create Unknown because we're all over the place, but we've all come together for Jake Roper and his brand new show, Could You Survive the Movies? Thank you for joining us, Ropes. Thanks for having me, Liebstar. Is that my new nickname, Liebstar? Yeah, and Tay Gore. The tab- table. Oh, I don't know. So it's a, a horror franchise. Then. Yeah, a little bit. And did we did we get an answer to the question? I mean, could could you survive the movies? Well, Matthew, you're going to have to watch the episodes to find out. Streaming right now on Vsauce Three. That's YouTube.com/slash Vsauce Three. Well, we have three episodes <laughs> so far on uh, YouTube.com/slash Vsauce Three, and then there are three more coming out. And that's the first question I have for you because I don't actually know the answer to this. When do we get to see more episodes? <laughs> like starting next week or what? Well, YouTube uh, made the decision because they know more than I do. The next three episodes come out in December. So December 16th is uh, the first episode of the back three. And then we have the 23rd and then the 30th. Oh, so we have to wait. Yeah, I don't know why. But uh, that's, that's the schedule. So we have like a month break where maybe, maybe. I'll make a, a regular Vsauce 3 video. Who knows? Who knows? Are you allowed to do that at this point? Can you go back to normie life? <laughs> I mean, it is. Okay. As a quick aside, it's very scary for me. The same thing happened after the Mad Max episode where I was like, how do I make just a regular video after making something so big and so grand? Will people be disappointed? Will people be upset? Uh, and what I found is that people don't care. They just want to see stuff. And as long as it's interesting, as long as the content is engaging, it doesn't matter if you have like a crazy jib or a bunch of people flipping cars it's just content so yeah i'm working on a video that uh will be the last paradox video i ever make so don't worry kevin you don't have to worry about me doing a paradox that you're going to do it's the last paradox video i'll ever make that'll be out hopefully soon well our our paradox videos don't really cross paths too often because you you tend to do ones that aren't veridical or falsitical they're usually um, antinomies and involving time and basically excuses for you to loop things because I think like deep down that's really why you make videos is to just make loops. <laughs> Dude, you know, I, I completely forgot. I actually had made a uh, Infinity Cubed video back in March and it's just sitting on my channel. It's like 24 hours long. I never made it public. I guess I just forgot because I probably got distracted. So it's just sitting there. <laughs> so it's unlisted. It's all loaded up. It's ready to have you flip the switch, but but you just haven't gotten around to clicking that button. Is that what I'm hearing? Basically, well, I had an idea. I've had this idea for actually a while now. So starting from my first Paradox video, the one that I did in the desert with Bill Nye, that was always in my mind. Like I wanted it to be part of a larger experience. And I remember talking to YouTube about, uh, interactivity and if we could do it in an interactive way and they kept being like yeah yeah, yeah just wait a little bit and it never happened so this long story short this last paradox video is going to be about 40 minutes long and it will be a new story but with these old paradox videos tied into it so because they all are together uh in one and then that i will then turn into a 24-hour looping video and that will be infinity cubed so what's the first infinity cubed this is another infinity cubed What's the one that so you... The first Infinity Cubed was I did because YouTube had told me that the interactivity that I wanted didn't exist yet and wouldn't exist until the end of this year. But then I talked to them again. They're like, actually, it's going to be end of 2020. And I can't wait that long. So I had made this other Infinity time. Cubed as kind of like a stopgap. But now I figured out a way to do it that will still be pretty cool. So this Infinity Cube that's currently on the channel will be deleted when the new Infinity Cubed gets made. The interactive stuff is something that they're really interested in i aren't they didn't markiplier it, it seems like uh 
what was the Cloverfield Bandersnatch thing that Netflix oh, did? Oh, that was, uh, yeah, that was Black Mirror. Mm. Oh, right, right, right. And it seems like once they did that, YouTube was like, ooh, we could do something like that too. <laughs> and now uh, Markiplier has some sort of choose-your-own-adventure show? I don't know. I saw the trailer, but I haven't seen the actual show yet. Yeah, it's a choose-your-own-adventure, similar to Bandersnatch. Um, but I – well, here's the thing. YouTube used to have interactivity. Remember annotation? Yeah. That's how we did – I remember yeah. some of the first videos that like Michael made were these kind of choose-your-adventure gamified videos. And since they deleted that feature, that whole system is broken now. Because there's so many videos that I know we made where it's like, click this annotation. And now we point to literally nothing. There's nothing there. Um, so my, my want with this was similar to what Markiplier did, where could we do a choose your own adventure style video? And basically we would go through different Einstein, Rosen bridges, and that would take you, that would basically create another paradox, which were the paradoxes that we had previously created. But if people go back and watch those paradox videos, they always start in a way where it's never explained how it starts because the whole point of them was to exist within this larger video where then we find out like where are the reasons that these videos started. We created these paradox and these loops and that was the, uh, the beginning ever the whole time really. But uh, I'll figure it out. Don't worry. Don't worry guys. I think that the annotations died because mobile became a thing. I'm pretty sure that annotations were originally because YouTube, you could only watch on desktop. This was before smartphones at all, I think. And then once everybody started watching videos on their phone, that changed how you could interact with YouTube. And they decided, well, only like 1% of people click on these things. Let's just get rid of them altogether. And and I mean, you you ran into a situation with that recently with the aspect ratio of Ghostbusters, right? Where that was in. Yeah. Uh, wanted to explain what that. There was an isomorphic. So the the first, well, first of all, I want to talk about annotation. I think you're exactly right. Mobile did kind of kill it. Why? Because mobile devices are touch interfaces. So why they couldn't just bake it over, I don't know. But they were able to with end cards. The other issue, I mean, this thing that we used to do, we always be like, click this annotation, or if you're on mobile, click the link at the top of the description. Remember, commenters would always go, ah, thank you so much for thinking about us on mobile. Because it was like such a small group of people. And now that's how people watch it. Anyway, aspect ratio. Yeah, so one thing that I did with this show that was very important to me, and luckily YouTube agreed, was uh, I wanted every episode to be filmed in the aspect ratio of the movie we were covering. So four out of the six episodes are shot anamorphic. So the aspect ratio is much different than like 16 by 9 UHD, even 2 to 1. And those aspect ratios, 16 by 9, 2 to 1, End cards, that feature are supported. But anamorphic is not supported by end cards, which I knew, but nobody on the other side seemed to know. So they were like, yeah, just send it to anamorphic, no problem. And like, ah, ugh. we can't add end cards. So you could you just like reframe the episode 16 by nine and re-give them to us? And I said, no, because we filmed them anamorphic to be anamorphic and I'm not reframing it. So now we just have info Sorry. cards. <laughs> Real quick, can you explain what anamorphic is to to people like like me who don't know what anamorphic is? Yeah, <laughs> so I said isomorphic, most... which is that even a word? Did I just make that up? That's nothing, is it? No, isomorphic is a, a real word. I just don't think it pertains to an anamorphic one. So anamorphic is, I mean, most, not most, a lot of films, when we think of film, what we think of is that nice anamorphic look and that nice anamorphic aspect ratio. Most lenses are spherical. Anamorphic is not. Anamorphic, basically, if we were to take a digital image, it squeezes it. And then, so for digital, it squeezes it, and then in post, we stretch it back out. So it's a lot, you have a lot more information, a lot more captured on basically the horizontal than you do the vertical. So the vertical is, is more narrow, but the horizontal is much longer. And it gives you just this big cinematic feel. The bokeh, you know, without a focus in the background, looks different because the lenses are different. Again, they're not spherical. So it just makes it feel, to me, very cinematic. Uh, and, you know, big movies do it, but it costs a lot more. That's something that we ran into, and YouTube was like, yeah, shoot anamorphic, and I was like, great. And then I looked at how much lenses cost to rent, and I was like, ah, I think I made a mistake. But we still did it. Uh, and also, they're huge. Like an anamorphic lens, the ones we were using, these Cook anamorphics, they're beautiful lenses. They probably weighed like six to eight pounds per lens. Um, wow. And then you attach it to the camera, and all the other things are attached to the camera, and then you got almost like a 20 pound rig. That's just the camera. 
So it was, uh, I mean, you know, Ghostbusters were shot in anamorphic. I don't remember if you remember how big those lenses were, but they were very, very large. Yeah, I remember you saying on set, like, just how crazily expensive it was. And I, and I think that's something that is hard to know when you don't know. I mean, it's easy to watch a video and just assume like, wow, that looks really great. Um, you know, but why, you know, like why YouTube originals, you know, Jake, like, why did you need to do that? Why couldn't you just make it yourself? And it's like, well, the lens alone cost more than <laughs> like my car. So <laughs> that's kind of like, you know, why you sort of need a lot of help uh, with this stuff. But I think that actually brings up a, another question, which I do get a lot, which is why do you need to shoot with those kinds of things at all? Does it make the episode better? Could I have just shot with like a regular Canon lens or whatever lenses we usually shoot with? And the answer is yes. But what I explained to you two, why it was important for me to shoot in the same aspect ratios and if we can with the same lenses as the movies, isn't because it's going to make it look amazing more than it would normally. It's, to me, it's that thoughtfulness that I think we all have in the content we make. It's that extra little step, that extra feeling that we put into it that makes it a little bit more special, right? Like most people won't notice that it's shot anamorphic or shot at the same aspect ratio, but some people will. And they'll go, wow, they put so much thought and care into this. Because that's what we're doing. We're celebrating the movies and I want to do it in any way possible. And on some level, I, I think I that think, even if you don't consciously know it, you subconsciously feel it. Like there's a color to it, not like literal color, not like hue, but a color as in like a mood uh, with those decisions that you make kind of as a creator that even if somebody doesn't know exactly, well, this is anamorphic and that's why I feel this way, it, it, I think it does come across. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's kind of the thing, and that's what I was talking to you two about. I want when people click on the video to feel like they're in a different place. And that's something that's actually beautiful about the YouTube player is that it adjusts to the aspect ratio, right? So when you click on the Ghostbusters video, instead of it being like this, it goes, Voop! and the player window changes to the aspect ratio. So I think it, it immediately allows the viewer to be like, wow, this is something different. This isn't what I'm normally used to. I think you're right about that, about the extra steps. Even when they're going unnoticed, they still get noticed, right? So uh, so somebody like me who does not understand the intricacies of, of those lenses and why the result is different than, uh, you know, the normal, um, I don't have to understand that to know it and to feel it and to appreciate that there's something else going on here. And we see that in the comments on a lot of videos, like even when it's not uh, something that significant. Uh, there, there are times when Kevin has gone, you know, deep into a little tangent, uh, you know, that's quirky little math or something, and it, it misses a lot of people because they aren't at that level of understanding yet, uh, or they're they're not interested in this super hyper uh, focused little detail. But the people who are, they they love it. I mean, it, it resonates with them, and that's the kind of thing that that makes somebody think, okay, this is a cut above, uh, what I was expect, you know, expecting to see, um, that adds up over time. I mean, I think that's the kind of thing that makes somebody think I want to watch the next video that drops on this channel. I hope so. <laughs> um, but even if it's not like, I think it's just, it's nice to be thorough. And my goal always <clears throat> with any video that I make is that if you take the opportunity, if you have the opportunity to watch it again, you'll notice things you didn't see the first time. So you get, it's not boring to watch it again. It's a whole different experience to watch it again because you're paying attention to everything in the background. I've noticed that with these episodes because I've seen them a few times now. You know, I watched obviously the first cuts that you sent me and then I've watched them a couple of times since they've come out just because I like to see what people's reactions are to them. And I def definitely with the science elements, I feel like you almost have to watch them more than once because the first time you're just kind of tangentially absorbing the idea that like no like the state puff marshmallow man would not crush you because of the surface area or because of like the more porous nature of the marshmallow but then the fact that you compare it to what the actual an actual human being would would be that size um it it it's easy to just kind of get lost for me at least in like the visuals and how pretty everything looks. 
and then almost like the second time that I'm watching it, it's it's easier to digest the the science elements. At least at least it has been for me watching them a couple times. No, I think that's fair. I mean, because we were you know we were given the directive of the episodes had to be at most fifteen minutes long. Um, even though Back to the Future was a little bit longer, but that was an easy one for them to agree to. It's everything is so dense, so it is very dense. We're trying to fully cover a topic in a way that allows you, the viewer, to go ah. I understand it, or I don't feel gypped. It didn't feel like a tease. It felt like a meal. So there's a lot of that. One fun Easter egg that I, I really like is at the end of Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, our episode, is actually in it. I think I pointed out to you, Kevin, like when I come back into the garage at the end, there's something playing on the television, and it's our Ghostbusters commercial before it then turns into meteorologist Craig Beals. And like when people watch it, if they haven't watched Ghostbusters, they're not going to know what it is. But once they watch Ghostbusters and then watch Back to the Future, it's like, oh, that was the commercial. It's like it's dumb, but I think it adds that extra specialness to the video. Yeah, but the full commercial got got edited out. It's on the cutting room floor. I've been begging for its release. I even spoke with Dave from Ample about this. You know, when is it going to see the light of day, Jake? Well, <clears throat> I actually talked to Dave, who's our showrunner for Could You Saw the Movies. He is working on getting it back together. Um, we're just because, like, you know, it doesn't. It hasn't been sound designed, it hasn't been color corrected, so it's going to take a little time. But that's the fun thing about these, in a way, is that so much gets cut out. Like, there was a lot in Ghostbusters that never made it into the actual episode. Um, like, we had the whole entire commercial. I'm sure, Tabor, you remember, like, the Ghostbusters commercial in the movie Ghostbusters. We just remade it, but changed the dialogue to fit with the episode. And it was really fun, but... Unfortunately, we for time, we had to lose some of it. Who knows? Maybe we'll make director's cuts and every episode will be like five minutes longer. We got a question in uh, in the Discord and <clears throat> we wanted to save a bunch of these for uh, kind of the, uh, the after show uh, for the patrons. But this one is so directly relevant to some of the stuff that, that you guys are starting to talk about here that I want to throw it out. Um, it, it, so it, Baseweight uh, asked about just the general licensing and permissions on a project like this. Uh, and it's, it is a general question. You know, how does that work? What's that like? Because I don't know how you'd even ask a more specific one. It has to be like such a nightmarish spider web of, of strange things. I mean, what, how, how do you, how do you even do this? <laughs> yeah, that is uh, the difficult part with a show like this is that we're basically relying on other people's IP to create, our own IP. So there is a lot of gray area there. I mean, what we get by a lot is that we're education focused. So that gives us a lot of leniency. So the fair use argument is usually the one that we use. We actually have for this show, besides the lawyers that exist on YouTube side and on the production company side, we also have a fair use lawyer who we would send every final video to. And they would go through and be like, mm, this one, we can't really argue. Ah, uh, this one should be fine. Mm, you might want to change this. So actually, I remember one thing in Ghostbusters. We could never say, we could never call ourselves Ghostbusters. So even in the commercial that got, or everything, I think it didn't get cut out. This part I said, like, before we were busters of ghosts, like is how I phrase it, because we can't say, before we were Ghostbusters, because we're not Ghostbusters. Uh, that's a different thing. But in Captain Disillusion section, I remember in the episode, he was holding the Ecto-1, the car, right? And he drops it a bunch of times on the toy model that he bought. And this isn't his fault at all. He didn't know. Because on YouTube, if he was just making the video himself, it could have the Ghostbusters logo on the side of the car. And nobody would care. But because we're doing this big production, our poor VFX artist had to digitally erase the Ecto-1 Ghostbusters logo off of every single shot. And it's a lot. It's in there a lot. And he had to erase it every <laughs> single time. Or we had weird issues where I wanted the thumbnail for the episode to be the marshmallow Captain Disillusion, his face, when he's like about to blow up and he's all scrunched. Legal was like, you can't, this is too much like the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. But for some reason it was fine in, so it was fine in the context of the episode because we were using him as a way to explain information. So we were being transformative. But as a thumbnail, it wasn't transformative enough. So we ran into that issue with a lot of things. And that was always frustrating. Because we'd be like, ah, oh, here's the final episode. And they go, mm, this song sounds too much like the Men in Black theme song. You need to rescore it. I'm like, okay. Like, ah, the text that you use looks too much like Back to the Future. You have to change it. The color also needs to be changed. Like, all these little things. Um, 
So it's difficult. You can do it. I mean, here's the thing. At the end of the day, are we completely safe from a lawsuit? Not at all. But we feel like we're in a pretty good place that we can argue that it is fair use. Uh, so it's difficult. What, I, what I'm hearing from your explanation on this is that this is something you had to consider on literally every frame of this entire series. Yep. That's like we would have to go through costumes took a long time because we'd have to literally send our costume designs, like the drawings, to our fair use lawyer to be like, does this look too much like Marty McFly's costume? And they go, mm, yeah, change the color of this, change the pants. Don't use the same exact shoes. You can use white shoes, but not the same shoes. You actually saw that coming on back. You're like, oh, your shoes aren't the same. It's like, I wish they were, but legally I couldn't wear the same shoes. So <laughs> there we go. Um, so there were a lot of fun little quirks with that, but it's like a thing that I never had to deal with because I'm going to make a video about Captain America. I'll show clips from the movie. I don't care. But in this regard, it, you can't do things like that. That's one of the reasons why we recreate the scenes. It'd be a lot easier to show the scene from the movie but we can't afford to license a clip from like Jumanji. So we just have to recreate it. It's amazing to me that a thumbnail has different rules than a video itself. That, that someone could like potentially sue you over a thumbnail is, is amazing to me. And I also never ever thought that you could get like sued over sneakers or something. The fact that it, it, I mean, it makes sense that like somebody got paid a ton of money to craft the costume of Marty McFly and they did an amazing job and his outfit is iconic and legendary and known around the world. So of course you can't just recreate it. But I, I, I mean, I, as a layman never would have thought like, well, why can't you just put that vest on? It's just a vest. Who cares? And that's, you know, that to me is really interesting. Even the titles of the episodes. We had to go through a legal process because, you know, the, for the pilot episode for Mad Max, it was called Could You Survive the Movies? Question mark, colon, Mad Max. And the reason it was that and not Could You Survive Mad Max is because the lawyers were concerned that if we called it Could You Survive Mad Max, people would confuse it with an actual feature from the movie Mad Max. They would think it was like a behind the scenes video for the movie Mad Max. Mm. Luckily, we started this process a lot earlier because I was very adamant that I wanted every episode to be called Could You Survive Insert Movie Title? So we started the legal process a lot earlier and we felt like we had good footing to say that it was transformative enough and wouldn't be confused with the actual film, which is the same thing for the costume. Would people be confused that this was actually part of like Universal's Back to the Future world? Would they not know that it's something different? But Mad Max, we actually got in a lot of trouble for with a lot of things. I remember when we first sent the lawyer the, the video, he sent like a huge like, time-coded list there was probably it was five pages long. And he'd be like, do you have a license for this? Do you have a license for this? Do you have a license for this? Is this license? Do you have a license for this? And we had to go and be like, oh, no, 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 don't worry. This isn't footage from the movie. We made all this. And he goes, ah, that's even worse because I thought it was from the movie. <laughs> and so if you watch that video, now knowing what I'm about to tell you, I talk all the time throughout that episode. Like even when there's not a shot of me, it's just like a drone shot or something. I'm still talking because the lawyer was like, as long as Jake is talking, you're fine to show all these things. As long as Jake is doing commentary, then we can say that it's transformative, even though the footage you created yourself. So there's a lot more VO of me in that episode. And in most of these episodes, like if I'm just talking, even though it's like, why is Jake talking? It's usually because there was a legal question if we could get away with that specific shot or scene. So they just needed more of me talking. So in Mad Max, like a drone shot maybe of like the cars driving or something, if you weren't doing some sort of voiceover while that shot was happening – the lawyer would be like, ugh. Yeah, they were basically, it was really funny. They were like, as long as Jake is speaking or Jake is on camera, you're fine. Every shot that isn't Jake or it doesn't have Jake's voice is, is bad. So we had to cut out a lot of shots. Like there was a lot more. Literally that video, the first cut, not even the first cut, like one of our close to the end ones was about uh, 37 minutes long. And the final episode was about 30 minutes. The majority of that six to seven minutes was just extra footage of like the, the horde driving through the desert of like more close-ups of Roe. Like they didn't, they were very confused about Roe. One, they thought Roe was a dude. And they were like, you have someone who looks just like a Morton Joe. You can't have that. Their, their literal example was, if you had everybody driving through the desert in bathtubs wearing trash bags, there'd be no issue. But the cars look the same. The outfits look the same. Like it's filmed the same. It just looks too much like the movie. 
So have more shots of Jake and have more of Jake talking. So there's this game that's it's like a, a cinematic Price is Right, where everything you have to do from what you're saying, the phrasing you're using to how things look, it's like, how close can I get? You know, I want to get as close as possible without going over. Is that is that like a fair way to put it? Is that it's just a constant game of pushing that envelope and stopping at the right time? It is, but the hard part is that a lot of finding out that we went too far happens after we made everything. Like I remember with the Die Hard episode, which will come out in December, you know, there's a scene where I say, the famous line, I go, yippee ki mother, and then I get cut off before the curse. And the fair use was like, no, you can't say that at all. You can say, yippee, and then that's all you can get. So now the scene, I come and I go, I'm like, yippee, and then it just cuts me off. <laughs> um, you can't even say yippee, it's just yippee. No, I can say yippee, because like, it's too close. You're in the world of Die Hard, you look like John McClane, you can't say his tagline. Um, and I was like, well, I wish I had known that before I filmed it. But then it's like, it's, it becomes fun, though, because I still need to craft what I want, right? Like this, this complete narrative story that still feels good and intentional while also doing all of these after-the-fact changes. And I don't think people really realize that like all of that happens before you see the video. And it's my job to make it feel like it was all on purpose and that everything that you see was meant to be seen from the very beginning. It's so funny, Matt, you called it a game because it is such a game. And I'm thinking about, you know, you being able to say yip, but not actually being able to say, you know, yippee kaye mother effer. Or it, it always reminds me of when like somebody is flipping somebody off like on the news or like at a sports <laughs> game and it's just like pixelated a little bit. It's like, everybody knows what that is. You're giving them the finger. Like does the pixelation really cancel out the action? It's just this weird game of censorship that gets played where it's like, well, pixelated middle finger is totally fine. Naked middle <laughs> finger. Oh my gosh. Like, like, you know, sound the alarm and same thing with like, okay, well, we'll get, we'll let you have yip. But, you know, the whole word, forget about it. We're going to we're going to sue you for all your worth. <laughs> well, there's like a lot of instances of that. I mean, in Mad Max, but things I think this is where they, they actually make it better, where you have to be a lot more creative. So in Mad Max episode, we have this shot of a tire spinning in slow motion and like a shooting debris off. The tire obviously says like Goodyear on it. And legal was like, well, you can't say Goodyear unless you got you paid Goodyear to use the tire. So I had poor Eric, our VFX guy erase it and then write something else and he says like Valhalla on it and then like when it says but like that allowed us to add an extra special moment but like people don't really notice it but like if you do if you pause it it says Valhalla like witness me and like it's something extra special we had to do that a lot I know in the alien episode we had to digitally uh enhance our alien and our chest burster because it looked too much like the ones from the movie so Eric had to digitally adjust them to make them look a little different. So he just altered it in post, the like the actual sculpt of the alien? Yeah, we, I tried doing practical effects, especially in that episode, as much as possible, because in the original alien, pretty much everything was practical when it came to the creature effects. So it was very important to me that it all be practical. But Legal was like, mm, no. So, but I think, I mean, I think it looks actually even better now. Eric did such an amazing job. But it was one of those funny, and Eric was like, I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> it was like, hey, buddy, uh, bad news. You need to, in a day, change and recreate these aliens. So there were a lot of uh, shocking amount of man hours when you talk about legal, when you talk about Eric, when you talk about the 50 other things we haven't talked about. Um, Jeff Davis asked this, uh, which, which of the episodes took he said the most amount of time start to finish, but I'm thinking in terms of man hours, which of these episodes do you think was, was the most time intensive for you and the whole team? And what's an estimate on how many hours that was? Because we've talked a little bit uh, in the past about, uh, about the time on Vsauce 2 episodes where people don't realize that a 10-minute thing could take, you know, Kevin, four 500 hours uh, to, to make it work. Um, what do you think you have for an estimate on on the biggest one of this series? I would say, oh man, time is going to be difficult to calculate, but I would say Back to the Future definitely took the longest in terms of how many days we spent filming it and also how many day, days we spent working on it. Because a lot of things changed. That one actually had the most differences from what was originally scripted. 
One was because, so the very first thing we ever filmed was the diner scene, where it's me and the diner talking about time travel. That scene was a lot shorter, but we had gotten a note that was like, we want Jake to fully explain time travel and also talk about uh, relativity, to which I was like, well, relativity and time travel don't really match because relativity says time travel doesn't exist. But anyway, I tried to fit it in some way. So that scene became really long and we had to film it across multiple days. So we couldn't go back to the diner set. That was impossible. So that's why a lot of it's me as a floating head. That was just me not moving, standing very still so I could get, so someone could rotoscope my head out and then put me in an Einstein Rosenbridge, put me on like some salt and sugar on a table. And then that mirror shot was filmed in, in a totally different city. Like that was filmed elsewhere. That like all that stuff. So that was a bunch of differences that we had to put together. But that one took a long time because that, when we filmed the diner scene, we didn't know we were going to be filming at Universal Studios. So the script that I had written was entirely different. Like, that's why when I walk into the diner, I'm like, does anyone know where Doc lives? Because we hadn't met Doc yet. Right? Like, and I remember afterwards, I was like, once we found out we were filming at Universal and I read the script, I was like, this is really dumb because we know where Doc lives. I know where Doc lives. Doc lives at the same house that Doc has always lived at. So why would I ask someone where Doc lives? But there was no way to get around it. So we just had to do that. But that changed the entire structure of the episode. And then we had to build this set. So we do the amp test. We then had to go to Universal. That took a day. In total, I think we spent five days filming that episode. Because like the Tesla coil, that we filmed like a month ago uh, in San Francisco because it took that long to get the guy who had the lightning machine. And then all these like extra special effects took a long time. Um, so that was a very time intensive one. Oh, even like the diner scene. All of the windows aren't real. Like when I'm sitting in the diner and there's all the windows around me, none of those, those windows are real. It's all green. It's green screen. So poor Eric had to key those out and then rotoscope them and add like a background into every single scene in the diner. So that one took a, a lot, a lot of time. I don't know how many time in terms of hours, but I will tell you it took five days of filming and took us about, oh, maybe a month and a half of editing and VFX work. And how many people, uh, how many people worked all this stuff up? Well, on filming is when we have the most, right? So that was like a crew of 35 to 40. So we'd have those, each of those five days, um, except for the lightning one. That was a small crew because we were flying to San Francisco to film it. And we didn't have money to bring a lot of people. That was, I think, only five people, including myself. But usually it was 35 to 40. And then in post, we had an editor, myself, the showrunner, Eric for VFX. He also had an assistant. And then we had a color, sound, and then our composer. So that film crew alone is is like 2,000 man hours in that five days. Yeah. And like, you know, we always would go over like when we filmed at Universal, we only had one night to do it. We got there at 4 p.m. and uh, we filmed until 4.30 a.m. Because um, it was like, so we filmed immediately the things when I get back in time and I meet the actor who plays Mayor Goldie. Like we did that scene. And then we reset and relit and like had to wire everything up to shoot at night. Actually, a fun little thing about that set or backlot is there's a lot of street lamps. The street lamps don't actually work. You have to run individual power to each lamp. And it was some incredible cost of like $1,000 per lamp, <laughs> which is why the lamps aren't on at night because we couldn't afford to pay $1,000 <laughs> per lamp. But that blew my mind. like, why wouldn't the lamps be wired? Like, well, you got to power them individually and it's going to cost you X amount of dollars to power each one. We got to have one of our own guys do it. And I was like, okay, well, we're just not powering lamps then, I guess. Thank you. I'd love uh, So it's amazing to hear, you know, how, how many people are involved, especially coming from YouTube, you know, coming from what you're used to, you know, for years, Jake, you specifically, it was you and Eric pretty much by yourselves making all of these videos before. And now all of a sudden you have 40 people on the set. So, you know, for people who aren't familiar with the process of working on a set with 40 people, who are all these people and, and <laughs> what are they doing? And why do you need 40 people to, to make a video like this? Well, 35 are fluffers for me. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, well, you, have, <laughs> you have a lot of folks. You have your, you know, you have your script supervisor who makes sure that you're actually filming all the things that are in the script that you need to film. Cause like I'm, you know, I'm directing it and I'm also hosting it. So it's hard for me to remember what we have or have not already filmed. And if we got enough coverage, so they'll go, ah, Jake, like we're missing scene one a, when you talk to him, I'm like, ah, thank you so much. So you have script supervisor, 
you have your gaffer who handles all the lighting, right? They're in charge of the lighting department. And then you have your cinematographer who's in charge of the camera department. And underneath your gaffer, you have your grips, uh, your best boys. And they're the ones who actually like, so the gaffer will go, we need a light here. We need like a light here, over here, over here. And they'll go set up the C stands with the lights, run the cables to wherever our power box or junction is. So they hit do all that stuff. And usually there's, with your gaffer, you have like, in this shoot, we had like two best boys slash grip people. And then you have your cinematographer and underneath them, you have AC, so your assistant camera, another assistant camera. And then you'll probably have one or two camera operators. So they're the ones actually operating the camera. And then the ACs are the people who are like pulling focus, doing stuff like that, changing lenses if they have to change lenses, uh, kind of doing gopher work, but they're very important. Then you have your PAs who are there to block off things or if like, ah, somebody needs more gas tape, you got to run to the store and get it. They're just like interns almost. So you got a bunch of those. Then you have your talent. Then you have like for specialty cameras, for example, like with our crane shots, you have a crane team or a jib team. So that would be about three different people just to operate the, the crane. Um, you have hair, makeup, costume, all those people there on set. Uh, and yeah, that's, that's kind of about it, I think. And then you have like the executive producers who are there just to be like, I'm part of it. I'm helping. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's pretty much everybody. Oh, and then like special effects, all that stuff. Safety people, fire. Uh, there's always a medic on set. Things like that. Did you need the medic with anything? Did you did you have a medical intervention on, on any scene? The only time you can actually see this in the Men in Black episode in the very beginning, if you look at the palm of my hand, there's a a big scab right there. Because we had filmed that later. The first thing we filmed was me doing the pull stunt where I get pulled back by that huge hydraulic rig. And both times, maybe I'll get in trouble for saying this. Both times I missed the mat. So the very first time I flew over the mat and I just like, I just land on the ground. I remember it was so funny. Everyone just went, Oh my gosh. And like someone was recording. You could see everyone like turn over to see if I was alive or not. Cause I just flew all the way over the mat. And that's when I, I scraped up my hand. And so then the medic had to like try and patch it. So there was that. There was another one where the second time we did it, I was too short to the mat. So if you, this is one that's actually in the episode. If you watch it, my heels hit the cement before my body hits the pad. So I go like, boof, boof. and so they had to uh, put some ice in the back of my heels because it got pretty bruised. Uh, so things like that. It was only from the stunts. Like when I did the Back to the Future getting pulled back into the chair, that really hurt because the guitar we hadn't really prepped for. So the guitar just slammed into my chest and like crushed my fingers. So after that, they had to like ice my hands so my like fingers wouldn't get too inflamed. Um, that was fun. But we had that. Or like when we filmed Jumanji, we were actually in the woods. A lot of people got poison oak. So the medic had to like cover it. There's this crazy black liquid to like help uh, alleviate and and reduce the pain. <laughs> so all of us were just basically covered on our arms and our legs with this like black tar. This is this is great stuff because uh, Kevin, I hope I'm not betraying you uh, when I when I say this, but Jake, you should probably know that Kevin is pitching a series called. Could you survive? Could you survive the movies? It's <laughs> <laughs> my big idea. The black goop stuff reminded me of Prometheus. Like all of a sudden, it's just going to crawl into yeah. your eyes and you're going to evolve into this terrifying monster. Um, I want to ask, you know, uh, you've gone through the process now successfully of creating a YouTube original. I think that a lot of people who watch YouTube have mixed opinions about kind of what YouTube has done so far with their original programming. If you had a magic wand, you know, what do you, what would you say they should do moving forward? Uh, you know, like what kind of shows should they make? What kind of creators should, you know, I don't want to throw anybody on under the bus in any way, in any way, but I think it's important for us to be critical and, uh, uh, and, you know, really say like there have been plenty of missteps so far with YouTube originals and just really kind of a few successes. I think both of the mm -hmm. Vsauce shows are huge successes, obviously very, 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 very biased, but you know, people do come up to me all the time and say, you know, Cobra Kai and like the Vsauce shows are the only things worth watching on YouTube originals. So I just kind of want to escape the night has done say, quite well. Right. 
people like that mm-hmm. quite a lot. Yeah. But, but y- your point stands is that I don't know how many they have now total, like 55 or 60, something like that. Um, only five or six seem to get a lot of attention and, and a lot of really positive feedback. And the others I think are in uh, kind of more defined niches. Um, so yeah, it makes it, uh, to, to bounce onto Kevin's question here, it makes it tough to understand uh, wh- what they do from here on out. Like, uh, you know, a few things have stuck and, and some haven't. And well, now what? Yeah. And I, I think a lot of it, I mean, I think it's a very difficult question to answer. To me, there isn't an easy fix. A lot of it is perception. And that will be the hardest thing for YouTube to overcome where people go to YouTube for a specific purpose and generally a specific kind of content. They're not known to be a premium provider of content the way that Netflix is, right? Just would be weird if Netflix started launching blogs and it's like, but I don't go to Netflix to watch blogs. I go to Netflix to watch Stranger Things. Like, I don't know what's happening. So I think perception is one thing that needs to be fixed and this can be done. You know, Michael and I talk about this a lot. When I was doing press and when Michael was doing press for Minefield and I was doing for System, people always ask, well, where do I go see it? I go, ah, well, go to youtube.com slash Vsauce3. That's V-S-A-U-C-E, numerical three. And like, okay. Or like, but then I always go, or just search it. Just search Could You Thrive the Movies on YouTube and you'll find it. Whereas on Netflix, they don't go, okay, go to netflix.com slash Great British Baking Show. You just go to Netflix and it's right there, right? And I think YouTube needs to do that. Where, yeah, you can go to youtube.com slash originals, but on the youtube.com homepage, there should be a carousel at top that like has highlights of, Here's the coolest original shows that we're making right now. So people understand them. And also the fact that it lives on the creator's channels for the most part. Obviously, Cobra Kai, they made a channel four, but like Minefield, my show, Markiplier's show, they all live on our channels. And I think that's also confusing because then it becomes my content. It's not something different that I'm making. No, this is my content now. And obviously they do that because they want your initial subscribers to watch it and then hopefully new people do. But I would love if it was just on its own hub and I didn't have to have it on my channel. I mean, I like that I do because it gives me extra content, but I think in terms of perception, it makes it confusing because then the originals don't live in one place. Again, there is a hub, the originals channel, but who goes there? It just lives on that person's channel. And how am I going to know that Minefield exists if I only watch Vsauce 3 and I only know about his original show? There's nothing telling me to go watch Minefield. So I think there's issues with that when it comes to what kind of content they make. This is a discussion I've had with YouTube a lot. I really want to work with them on helping creators make content. Because the, the, the thing that I felt, you know, I make everything myself. I have complete control. It lives on my channel. It's whatever I want to make. Now I have a little less control because somebody else is paying for it. I'm now working with a production company who has their own ideas. And it's very difficult for me to feel like, when can I say no to things? When can I say yes? Like at what point? Because YouTube, as I found out, really does believe in the creator. But a lot of times the creator is going to take the backseat because they're working with a production company who knows what they're doing supposedly. And they're working with all these executives at YouTube who know what they're doing. So what is my value? Like I get nervous and I'm just like, well, I'm the kid in the room. So I'll let the adults talk. And I, I want to help creators. So like, no, no, you talk. Like it literally is your channel. And that's the other issue is that since it lives on your channel, you're going to make it like your content. Whereas I think creators would have that feeling of a little bit less preciousness if it wasn't living on their channel. Like if Netflix asked me to make a show for them, I'd be like, yeah, you understand your audience better than I do. So you tell me how to make this. Like, obviously, I still want it to be mine, but I don't know why people watch Netflix or what shows they watch or how long they watch them, but you do. So you tell me that and you help advise me. But on this, it's my channel. So arrogantly, I think I know what's best for the audience. And I think I know how better to make a YouTube video, um, which is frustrating. I don't know if I answered your question, but to me, it's mainly a perception thing. I think there needs to be a new hub for original content. Just make it part of YouTube TV for all I care. Like just put it somewhere else. So it feels different and unique. That's exactly what I was wondering once you started defining it that way is if, and maybe this is a bad idea, but, but is if there needs to be a separate app or at least a separate section of YouTube that is dedicated to originals. And maybe they just really don't have a deep enough catalog to justify that yet. But at one point, at what point are they going to kind of commit to having a, because look, this is a a huge problem that Netflix has right now. I mean, you want to talk about a gigantic entertainment company 
you know, Netflix is a multi, 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 multi billion dollar company, like deep in the hole. They're at the, like the center of the earth. They're in the earth's core of <laughs> debt right now. I don't even know how much debt that they have, that they have sunk into making original shows because as soon as Warner Brothers and Disney and all of these companies that own all the IP that's on Netflix pull all their shows, whether it's The Office or Friends or whatever, there's going to be a tremendous dearth of content that is remaining on Netflix. They'll have like Orange is the New Black, BoJack Horseman, and you know a handful of other shows that just don't have 200 episodes of Friends, right? So it seems to me that at some point, you know, YouTube kind of needs to decide, are we even really competing on the original programming front or not? Because if we are, then quite frankly, they need to like magnify this investment a hundredfold to create a, a whole library of content that's like, here's Could You Survive the Movies, here's Minefield, here's this, here's that, here's this, here's that, and here's this new app or this new section of YouTube that's dedicated to amplifying homegrown YouTube content. That's actually a really good point, and that's something that you know we've discussed internally is Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, they all do huge ad spend. And the reason that they do it isn't just so people will like, look at a thing for like, ah, yeah, great. This new Netflix series. I'm going to go to Netflix and watch it. It's to let people know that Netflix is a platform that should be watched. It's important. And the content that they make is important. And that's why they do billboards. That's why they run TV ads, have magazines, like, you know, pages, full pages out with that. And that's something that YouTube doesn't do. And it's up to us, the creator, to promote the show. But it doesn't add that sense of importance that you do like, I'm not saying that I want a billboard on my face. I don't think that would drive a lot of traffic, but what it does do is it lets people know the general population know that YouTube is the place to go for X, Y, and Z. And they don't do that. So also the other thing I was thinking, YouTube should just, what they're kind of doing is that they're giving grants to creators that they like the ideas of. Then just do that. Don't make it like a YouTube original, make it this whole thing. Just let me make the content that I normally make and give me a grant to make it. Because to me, I think that would actually do better in terms of not just views, because obviously they, they market the heck out of these episodes, but in terms of not confusing the audience. They're like, oh, it's just a Kevin video, but with a bigger budget. And like, I get it and I understand it. And they're just giving you a grant to create the things that you never could have otherwise. Because right now it's just so confusing. And it's, it's very difficult. Especially like I have to be the one to tell everybody that, hey, there's a new video every Monday for free. If you want to watch all of them right now, well, you can, but you have to buy YouTube Premium. What is YouTube Premium? Well, is it, and like, it's, now I'm the one who has to do that like marketing talk for YouTube when YouTube should be the one who makes that very clear. And that was something that I was very adamant about. I was like, I don't want people to pay for YouTube Premium and then find out a week later that they could have just gotten it for free and now they spent 12 bucks. I was like that, because no one's going to be mad at you, YouTube. They're going to be mad at me. So it needs to be very clear that this show is free and that you can watch it for free. And they're like, yeah, that's a great idea. So just tweet about it and do community posts to let people know. I'm like, huh, okay, well, that's not going to reach everybody because the majority of people who look at my tweets is a lot less than the people who watch my videos. It's hard to talk even in general terms about what YouTube premium is because I have these conversations constantly uh, and depending on what the conversation is and who it is, I might say YouTube premium is a great way to have an ad-free experience. And it's crazy how useful that is to not ever have ads. Or other times it's like, actually YouTube premium gets you the YouTube music, which is really handy in this way. And then sometimes it's access to original TV shows. I mean, these are such radically different things that it's hard to express that. So even when the onus is on you to talk about the thing, um, it's like trying to tell people, uh, you know, like you can go to Walmart to buy, you know, like rubber hose, Vaseline and and like a pair of underwear. I mean, it, it, it's true, but like you don't know which part to talk about. And that that makes it tough when it's all thrown at you to communicate the value. there. And I will say I do love YouTube Premium. I think it really is a great feature. I don't think you sign up for it, though, for their original shows. And I say this having an original show. I think you sign up for the two points you made. One is 
ad-free YouTube, which is a wonderful user experience, and also the ability to yeah. know, oh, we have YouTube music, like, and you get that free. It's basically Spotify, but different. Uh, like that to me is the selling point, not the originals. And I understand why, for example, my show for a week is behind the paywall because it's that incentivizing notion to be like, ah, you're paying 12 bucks a month. You also get this, but it, it's not a value add to me. I would rather my show be immediately free for people to watch and not feel like there are some that are more important that other, than others that get it. Cause it, it's the messaging is so confusing. Like it's just so difficult. People always ask me like, why aren't the views available on men in black? I don't know. That's a feature of it once being behind the paywall. I have no idea how to turn it on. I don't, I can't, I don't even control my channel when this show comes out. They, they're the ones who like upload it and make it public. I have no idea. And so I have to then, before the episode comes out, leave a top comment and pin it being like, hey guys, just to let you know, another episode will be up for free next week. You don't have to pay for it if you don't want to. Please don't hate me. And uh, the disabling of all the, the engagement features is really, there's so many confusing elements here that, Matt, you're right. It's like, where do you start by explaining all of this stuff? There was a comment on the Ghostbusters episode I read this morning that's like, why are likes and dislikes disabled? And all of a sudden, this person is kind of planting the seed that like something nefarious is going on. Like, oh, maybe Jake disabled likes and dislikes because like people were really hating on this video. Like, you don't know. All of a sudden the <laughs> gears start turning and like the conspiracies start floating through your head when the answer is, I don't know. That's just how YouTube originals works. Apparently <laughs> is that like, if something's behind the yeah. paywall, then all the engagement factors and, and features are removed uh why and i actually brought this up but that's why like comments are enabled but yeah likes dislikes aren't views aren't and it's to your point everybody assumes not everybody most people assume that it's my doing i don't have control over it it's not my doing at all i don't get to choose if likes dislikes or views. i wish they were viewable because i actually do think it would lead to less dislikes i think by having the likes the dislikes hidden more people click the dislike button just because like i can Ooh, there's like no repercussions because it's not visible but like it's visible to me, I can see it in the back end, so it still hurts my feelings. But, um, <laughs> but no, it is weird. Like I, then I get texts all the time from people who work in the show, being like, "How's Men in Black doing? How many views does it have?" And I have to like go into my back end and refresh and check and be like, "Here you go. Here's your numbers to make you feel better." But I wish everyone could just see it. Um, but who knows why they don't do that? I think when everything was behind the paywall, they didn't do it because the numbers would be astonishingly low compared to what the video would get if it was in front of the paywall. Yeah, but it's and doing really well, it. right? I mean, like, uh, the videos are all doing really well. It, it seems like a phone call could be made to somebody like, hey, Susan, um, can we flip the switch on views for this? Because we should be really proud well, of how many people love these videos. You would think that. You would think it would be that easy. <laughs> but let me tell you, when you want to make any kind of change... It is what I was like when we couldn't do end cards for the anamorphic episodes. I was like, let's do info cards. It took 10 days for that solution to be approved because they wanted to test it and make sure like all these features do like engagement testing, all this stuff. Everything takes a very, very long time, which I get. This isn't like YouTube sucks. Like I get it. They're trying to also figure out how best to amplify their own platform and like what things work, what things don't. I get it. But it's not as easy as just turn this on. Everything takes a long time in, in this regard, which makes sense because it's a TV show. You just can't change something immediately on a TV show and think that everything's going to be okay. It has to go through a lot of different people and processes. Uh, but fun fact, and no one will know this because views aren't enabled, but basically by tomorrow, the Men in Black episode will be the most viewed video I've ever made. What? Really? Already? In what? Uh, in a week? A week. Yeah. Dude, that's crazy. And what's the threshold on that? Uh, I think my Home Alone video is at like 12 million views. That's my most viewed video. And this, so Men in Black is already above that? It will be by tomorrow, I think. If views keep going the way they are, it'll be over 12 million. What? That's crazy. Because it had a good thumbnail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's that was a, another funny thing that I thought was just the whole thumbnail thing where... Uh, even that, I mean, people don't realize that just being able to, I, well, I mean, I guess we established earlier that you could just get sued for a thumbnail, but <laughs> even like the creative behind the thumbnail ended up being uh, much more of a process than you would imagine, or at least 
then you're used to being a YouTuber where on a whim, I'll change a thumbnail uh, just yeah. randomly and to be whatever I want. But for you, for I the mean, show, it's like you got to have a committee. I wasn't even asked to make the thumbnails. They were like, here's the thumbnails for your show. And I was like, ah, could we have a meeting to discuss these? Because I have some notes. <laughs> and then they were like, well, we can't really change anything. We're doing A-B testing. That was the issue with Back to the Future. I was like, I, we need to change the thumbnail. Like, we made a much better one. I'd like to change it. And they're like, well, you can't change it until a week from now because we're doing A-B tests to find out what thumbnail works best. And I was like, well, here's what you're going to find. This thumbnail that was terrible did a little better than this other thumbnail that was terrible. Like, it's not going <laughs> to... Well, Luckily with Men in Black, I was able to be a jerk enough and get them to change it to a thumbnail that we made. But They, they weren't terrible, but they weren't uh, representative of your show. I think that they were, they were great they were thumbnails terrible. maybe for like a King of Random or uh, What's Inside or like that type of content where you're just kind of doing experiments and that's it. But when you, for Could You Survive the Movies, are putting yourself in a movie and you have this whole like narrative element and all of this crazy kind of like grandiose stuff going on, making it look like a DIY kind of backyard hacker video makes no sense. And that's actually, it's like I, I misspoke. They weren't terrible. They were like, they were good thumbnails for a specific kind of video. And what I kind of expressed to the team there was like, here's the deal. If you were to look at the thumbnail without the title, would you know what the video is about? And they were like, no. And I was like, and that's the issue. It needs to tell you what the video is about. But like, but the title is always there. I was like, yeah, but that doesn't matter. Because they need to work with each yeah. other. Like, because not everyone's going to just it's read a- through every, they go immediately just look at the thumbs. And then after the thumb catches their eye, their eye, then they'll go and read the title. But the thumb needs to be the thing that gets you first. And if it doesn't look like Back to the Future, if it doesn't look like Men in Black, then people are just going to keep going. Didn't, it. didn't Matt Koval from YouTube do a whole analysis of this? I mean, he literally works for YouTube and he made a video talking about how people look at a thumbnail first. They spend 0.8 seconds glancing over thumbnails. And in that 0.8 seconds... If the thumbnail catches their eye, then they read the title. And this is how everybody browses YouTube. Yeah. And I, you know, I brought all this stuff up and I was like, in my own experience, having worked at YouTube and been doing like videos on YouTube for eight years, this is what I found works. But I get it. And this is the thing, like they want to do testing because they have very few opportunities to test on large creators channels, right? Like it's not a thing that they have the opportunity to do. So I get it. I made the argument, they're like, but you're hurting the show. Like, I understand testing is important, but you're hurting what I want to keep doing, which is making more of this. And I know I'm going to be judged entirely by views on this. They're not going to go, oh, it was a great episode, but the thumbnail test really hurt. They're not going to care. They're going to go, how many views did it get? Ah, not a lot. What were the reasons? Doesn't matter to us. Don't make more of these. Um, So it's frustrating. Because again, if this was not on my channel, I would have a lot less skin in the game. But it's on my channel. So I'm going to have an opinion because you're using my audience that I've been fortunate enough to have in my platform to show this, this content to people. Well, what is, what is next? Because a couple of people have asked me what, what you're doing now that you've filmed this and you're releasing it out. I've been telling everybody that you're reforming the hools and, and giving <laughs> up YouTube. Uh, so <laughs> ho- hopefully you won't prove me wrong that I have been a liar for these months. That was Jake's band uh, when he was an infant, by the way. Uh, for those who didn't catch our true. first episode with Jake. Uh, well, unfortunately, I think the hools are broken up for good. Uh, Corey, who is the... Um, one of the singers and, and guitarists in the band is currently on tour in Europe with her own band. So she's busy. I mean, I got my little drum set here. Maybe I'll make, make some stuff. Who knows? But not music. I wanted to take a, a vacation. I thought would have been nice. What's that? But, You're uh, allowed to do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I was, cause you know, we worked basically since March of this year, I've been working nonstop, like every single day on the show. Um, and uh, I'm not doing going on vacation. What's next for me, Matthew? Pagor is uh, <laughs> is I'm doing a a video this paradox one which I'm hopefully going to be filming this month and releasing the beginning of December so there's going to be that that'll be the last like regular Vsauce three video outside of system and then I'm making a series for Samsung um, so we're going to start filming those this month and I'm going to be shooting 
like not shooting them because I'll be in them, I guess. I'll be hosting, directing, writing, and editing those. Uh, so I'm gonna. That's basically the rest of my year in terms of content. So I got four sampling videos that I'm making a series for them, which I'm really stoked on because I do really like sampling phones. And then uh, this Vsauce three episodes, and then three more episodes of Could You Saw the Movies. And then next year, who knows? Who knows, Tabor? Tagor? Dang it, Tagor. When do? Well, it's still. It's still the Hools uh, reunion tour 2020. I've already made the posters. <laughs> uh, I, I'm making the t-shirts. Oh, thank uh, you. So it just just don't put me in a bad spot here. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> I have I have eight thousand dollars sunk in, er, sunk into Hools <laughs> merchandise already. I will. Okay, I'll I'll release some things under the name the Hools, and then there we go. <laughs> I'll just throw some stuff together in GarageBand, some loops. You'll be happy. <laughs> Jake, Jake, when do we have to wait to find out when, uh, you know, system gets picked up for season two? Is there like a parameters for that? Is there like any sort I have of no idea? We don't know. We don't know anything. Okay. I mean, it took like a year to get the season actually picked up from the pilot. So who knows? Who knows how long it's so going to So 2021, take. we'll get the green light for season two. I hope they got to I mean, be thinking though. Because like five million on Back to the Future right now, and by the time you know somebody listens to this, it could be you know double that. You're telling us twelve million in a week on Men in Black. This is not a failure, right? They have to be looking at these numbers and thinking, oh yes, we should do more of this. I mean, I think for my thing, does it as much as like Cobra Kai or Impulse? Probably not, but I think it's also different. Like it is an education show, so I'm hoping that in that vein if you're to look through it through those lenses that it is a success at least enough that we can make another one and make it even better so i'd like to find out i mean my dream is that they pick it up they green light second a second season before the end of the year and we literally start in february on season two and it would be 12 episodes and we've released one a month and that's what i would basically do for the next year is just release one video a month it always be system and that's what i would do but we'll see. Awesome. Who knows? Who knows? They'd have to increase the budget. Because even though that's actually one thing that I love the most, probably the nicest comment that, that we get on the show is people are like, oh, it looks like a movie. Like it looks like you, it had such a huge production budget. <laughs> These episodes are made yeah. for like pretty cheap comparatively, like a lot less than the Mad Max episode. Like the Mad Max episode was like to me what I think we need for every episode. Our budget for every episode on this show. Oh, was about forty mm, percent of what we had for Mad Max. Well, I mean, even you earlier comparing it to Cobra Kai, I'm like, yeah, you made System with like Ralph Macchio's, you know, probably like latte budget. <laughs> well, that's not a fair too, comparison. By, by the show <laughs> being considered unscripted, we get an unscripted budget, whereas a scripted show, the base is probably like seven hundred thousand dollars per episode, like. At a minimum, you're probably looking at closer to a million. And we're unscripted, so our budget is significantly lower than that. Yet we're doing everything that you would do for a scripted show. We're building sets, we have costumes, we have like explosions, props, all these different things, special effects. So I want it to be treated as such. Because it's not like, I don't care about making more money. I care about having more money to spend on all the ideas I want to do. You know, like I remember for the car flip Mad Max, I paid for that because we couldn't afford to do it. So I was like, well, just pay me less so we can flip a car. Because that was more important to me than making money. I wanted to flip a car because I think that moment would make people go, holy smokes, I can't believe this is a YouTube video. Yeah, and that's what people do say. They say, holy smokes. <laughs> that's the sort of language that they use when they're Gee, really surprised. And really... <laughs> Look, we, uh, that hour went really quick. We got to go to our Patreon after show where we have some some questions for you from our patrons. Um including yep. one about a video that you made a few years ago that somebody remembered and wants to hear more about. Uh-oh. Yes. Yeah, and we have a couple questions, too, that we asked, we couldn't get to, uh, but we were asked uh, that are a little bit more general, and I, I want to hear 
your bizarre answers to them. So we have just a really good combination of Jake heavy questions and ones that Jake will weasel his way into. So I'm excited about this. Yeah. My favorite. All right. So uh, join us over there at patreon.com slash the create unknown. And that's where we will be. And for everybody else, thank you so much for watching. See you next time. Space Cowboys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. There's more episode waiting for you, but to keep listening, sign up at patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. You can hear the rest of our conversation as well as unlock the ad-free feed, get exclusive content, join the idea baby gang, and more. Thanks for listening to The Create Unknown. If you liked what you heard, and I certainly hope that you did, please subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave us a review on Podchaser and Apple Podcasts. Those reviews really go a long way. While you're at it, you can also watch the video version of this show on youtube.com slash thecreateunknown. Check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. You can get the full episode. You can join the Idea Baby Gang, become one of the known access creator services. There's a lot going on on our Patreon. It's all part of phase three of TCU. So go to patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. Follow us on social media. We tweet at Create Unknown. We're on Facebook and Instagram at The Create Unknown. You can follow me, Matt, and the show on Podchaser for podcast updates. You can also find a link to our Discord in the show notes. We love our Discord because we get to talk to you and you get to talk to us. So join our Discord. Our website is thecreateunknown.com. The Create Unknown is an unknown media production. We've been your hosts, Kevin Lieber and Matt Tabor. Check out what we do on YouTube at Vsauce2 and on Twitter at KevLieb and TaborTCU. Links in the show notes. Executive producer is Dave Kiney. This episode was edited by Zalgaloo. Our theme song is by the incredible Mega Drive. Special thanks to Paula Lieber, Mo Lewitt, and Dorothy Kiney. Until next time, see ya, Space Cowboys. <laughs>